0: Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hi, everyone. This is Elia with the Spectrum Strategy Group, and I wanted to take a little bit of time today to give you a little bit more about my background and share with you what the catalyst was for being an autism educator and coming to be in this place where I'm educating and training and podcasting. And I think I need to step back first to uh, when my own son was diagnosed, which I think has many layers before we get to even that place. Uh I know that when my son was super young, uh we noticed that there were some things that were a little quirky, a little challenging, but honestly, I, you know, I didn't think much of it. And as parents, he was our first child and so I really didn't have that much to compare that to and I guess what I was noticing a little bit was uh, he slept a lot uh, and which, you know, as a new parent seemed like, great, this is awesome. He sleeps a lot. Uh, And I know that's not true for all kids on spectrum. Um, But I also noticed he was a little picky with his food and sensitive to sort of textures and lights and sounds. Uh, One of the things I remember uh, most was he'd be in the stroller and we would be in a department store, and he would run his hands along the clothing and he really liked fabric, different types of fabric, uh, particularly really soft fabric and you know that kind of stuff just seemed really cute and endearing, and you know, I didn't know that that could have been uh, like sort of an indicator for something, so I really didn't think anything of it um and you know, I made some accommodations for. Uh, picky eating and for, you know, some of those sensitivities to sounds. Uh, so I just seemed like a normal thing to do as a parent is you make accommodations for your child based on what they need. And I think once uh, he started in preschool, he started in a, uh, you know, as a as a new mom, uh, I didn't want him going to a preschool that was all week Um, Every day, you know, it seemed like too much to jump into. He seemed like he was still a little emotionally young at three years old. So I was like, no, let's put him in a a three-day-a-week, half-day pre-K, just to sort of ease into that. Um, Probably more for me than for him. And so he started there, but, you know... Kind of quickly on, we noticed that there was something that was not working there. Um, it felt like teachers were not open to his uh, differences. Um, you know, One example was we kind of weren't sure whether he was righty or lefty, but we kind of thought he was leaning lefty. Uh, but the teacher he had was sort of encouraging right hand uh, instead of sort of seeing where things were going. So that was, you know, one thing we were noticing. And also he started having diminished interest in things that were normally something he enjoyed. So music has always been something he enjoyed. He really loved doing arts and crafts and creating things. And when those times came up, there was starting to be a diminished interest. And so this was, I'd say, the first, within the first, you know, couple months of being Uh, in this uh, first preschool setting. And there was a point where he started hiding under the tables um, during certain activity sessions. And I was, you know, sort of like, well, this is not usually what, you know, my kid does. So I, I don't know what's happening, and what is there something else going on that we're not aware of? And then we started finding out that there was a little bit of, um, I would say now probably, a little bullying going on, really, even at this age of three. And he was getting picked on by at least I know one other student that was in the classroom. And so at that point, we decided it was out, and I was pulling him out of there. And fortunately, I was able to get him into, uh, and that was a private preschool setting. I was able to put him into the public school preschool setting, which was still privatized. Uh, But it was a, at the time, it was called a blended Montessori preschool program, which was five days a week. And it was uh, what we would now say inclusion. Uh, We had special needs kids in there and uh, regular ed kids in there. And they were all learning the same curriculum. There was a special ed teacher, regular ed teacher, and uh, an an instructional assistant, as well as speech and OT rotating through the classroom um, because of some of the kids in there who were early intervention students. So I, I know that now, you know, going back and recognizing what, um, what I had in that uh, preschool setting. But my son did really well in there. He had someone looking at what his needs were, and he, there was a lot of structure in the classroom, and he was uh, thriving and enjoying that. And so I was so thrilled that he was in the right placement And he was there for another year. So uh, it was uh, a three-year-old, four-year-old program. And, you know, from there, he went into a similar kindergarten program. So he went into an inclusion kindergarten program, which also had two teachers, one regular ed, one special ed, although they were both special ed certified. And then we also had an instructional assistant as well as speech and OT rotating through the classroom. So also Montessori-based, and he did amazing in there. And uh, again, the only thing, there were some uh, pieces that, you know, feedback that we were getting that he was a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit socially distant from some of the other kids, but he did make friends. With, um, with one or two other children in the room. And so, you know, all seemed to be fine. Just something that, hey, we're just noticing. But uh, again, we were getting—he's articulate. Everything's great. It's working wonderful. I loved this, <laughs> both the preschool and the kindergarten program so much that when I had my daughter and she was entering into school, I wanted to make sure that she was in those same programs, uh, and it did work out because I had already had one child in there. So uh, it was such an amazing uh, learning experience, and I learned a lot from those teachers myself as I then moved into my teaching career. So. Right into that, in that same space, I was changing careers from being a trainer to being a corporate trainer in investment banking to switching and becoming an elementary school teacher. So in doing that, um, as I've mentioned, I started working in a young autism program. And so around that time, my son was that three, three and a half age. And it was when we were noticing challenges in that first preschool program, but then I started noticing that some of the things I was seeing working with my own students in there, that my son seemed awfully similar to a lot of the kids that I was working with. And so I started doing some research and started asking around the people that I worked with at the time. And it was sort of vague. I wasn't really getting a lot of information. And so it was pretty frustrating. And so I was looking up as much as i could and back then uh you know like 18 years ago research was not as easy as it is now you know i couldn't just go online although i could and i could find some things but it was pretty limited and uh i started asking people and asking friends and other educator friends that i have and trying to see if i could piece something together uh and in the interim he seemed to be doing okay except we did notice a little bit of anxiety. I did start asking his teachers, what are you seeing? Is there anything? And I really got a lot of, no, he's meeting his milestones. He's really articulate. He was already reading. So, you know, don't worry. He's probably just a little immature uh, and he'll grow out of it, right? And I knew that somewhere in my gut, and, you know, those of you who are parents, Sometimes you just get that gut feeling that there's something missing. And I know my husband and I had a lot of conversations when our son was super young. Do we get an evaluation? Is it going to do anything? Should we wait? And so sort of like this, I don't know, we don't notice that there's anything prominent enough to go and have uh, have an evaluation done. And so we kind of waited uh, as we got into first grade, though. We noticed that there was a huge amount of anxiety um, and really some social interactions that were not working. So we did go to a psychologist and the psychologist did sort of a you know an initial evaluation, and his feedback was also he's you know super intelligent and you know very articulate. And, Um, I got the phrases and those of you who've done some research, uh, he's like a little professor and he marches to the beat of his own drum, which is great and will serve him well as he gets older. Um, And all true. Uh, But the social piece uh, was still something that we were struggling with and we had tried other activities and still felt like he wasn't able to kind of connect with the other kids that were in you know, let's say karate or soccer, or those types of things. And so this psychologist said, well, we have, you know, we run some, you know, kids activities that maybe your son might be interested in. And a lot of it was drama based and play based. And I now know that it is a social skills group, but that was not, I mean, they, they didn't even call it that at the time. But we said, yeah, sure, we'll try that. Let's try it. And while he did enjoy some of the activities, being around other kids that were not familiar to him and students he wasn't interacting with on a regular basis, but maybe once a week, it was not, again, he was not like clicking or, you know, kind of connecting in there. So that really didn't work as well. But, you know, he had tried that and he was continuing to see the psychologist. And that did seem to help with some of the anxiety. So that was a that was a win, uh, and you know we really hadn't noticed anything academically until we hit second grade and in second grade, there was a lot more uh, attention to mathematics, particularly the uh, math facts, so memorizing addition, subtraction facts, as well as the beginning of multiplication facts and that was becoming a challenge and I do remember the second grade teacher saying, "You know what? this is just." a little bit of a challenge right now but as we move into 3rd grade it'll get better you know he's he's he can do it don't worry about it and when we moved into 3rd grade his 3rd grade teacher was actually a special ed certified teacher but she was happened to be the classroom teacher for 3rd grade that year and once we hit that first parent teacher conference <laughs> she sat with us and said you know one of the things i see is that your son is reciting, um, you know, dialogue from books that he's reading and also reciting lines from television shows. And he has some uh, repetitive movements with his hands and with his eyes. And I said, oh, so you're trying to tell me that my son has autism. And she said, Oh, so you kind of already knew a little bit. And I said, I've been doing some research, but we were waiting for someone to tell us that there was something uh, that we should do something about. And so after that, we did go to a neuropsychologist and we had him evaluated. And the initial evaluation did not come back with autism, uh, it came back with ADD, inattentive type. And so They said, you know what, if you try a little bit of medicine, that might be okay, and maybe he'll feel like he can focus a little bit better, and he'll be able to attend. And as a parent who really just wants their child to feel better and feel like they can connect with their classmates and feel like, you know, they're... um, feel comfortable being in the room that they're in, I said, yeah, let's let's try medicine. Let's see what happens. Um, but what we did notice was that the medicine actually sort of amplified some of the uh, autism features. So there was more flapping, more spinning, and just really not being able to settle. And so we decided that clearly the medicine is not working and this is not helping. So We took him off the medicine, they did a second round of evaluation, and they came back with a diagnosis of PDD-NOS, so that is Pervasive Development Disorder, not otherwise specified, with a little tagline that said, with Asperger-like features. So when you're looking at the diagnostic criteria, that kind of means that he met most of the, you know, checkoff lists for the diagnosis of Asperger's or autism uh, because it was a different way of diagnosing back then, but not all of them. So close, but not everything. So, okay. We were like, we get it. um, But what does that mean? Right? Like, so as a parent at that point, now what, what do I do with that information? And it was, you know okay well now we know what does that mean when we go back to school and what does that mean for a future and what does that mean for what steps we have to take and i have to say there was no one that was really giving us that support we got a report and we got a diagnosis and that was sort of it and so i had done some research um my husband fortunately is a physician so he was able to get some research but i just sort of said well we're going to have to advocate and figure it out. So I went to his school and I said this is a diagnosis that they have and you know what 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 can we do to help? And at the time there was a I was met with a lot of resistance of what to do. Uh he was meeting his milestones academically. He was, you know, not regressing. <laughs> so um and he was making effective progress and so there was no support given uh and no one to help say hey here this is what you can do and this is what we can do now that we have this diagnosis and there was a lot of resistance around doing anything at school as far as an evaluation and so i felt a little alone and uh, you know on top of having that experience with school personally I was still going through, what does this mean? Why, you know, why is this happening? Why him? Uh, And really feeling at a loss of knowing what to do and also no one to connect with. There was really no one that could relate or could understand what I was experiencing. And so, you know, yeah, this was the beginning of feeling isolated as a parent. And so, you know, I I say that I wish that we had had um, more knowledge early on. And while he was uh, almost nine years old, by the time he was actually diagnosed, I think those earlier years it would have been great to have known more and to have been able to um, maybe enlist. Additional support, and while anxiety was the predominant challenge that we were facing, it there were still other things that perhaps could have helped alleviate that. So fine motor skills uh, is a challenge, and still is. You know, it was a challenge then um, being able to th- do things like open packages or tie your shoes or open up, you know, bottles, cans, juice boxes, right? Like those types of things um, c- were super challenging. And maybe if we were able to get some OT support with handwriting and other fine motor skills, uh, maybe some of those things could have been mitigated. And maybe those things could have, you know, reduced anxiety um, and helped him fit in with his peers at the time um, and just helped to build some of that self-esteem. But, you know, it's easier to look at that retrospectively as a parent than, It is when you're in it because all you know is right now, I want to be able to help my child. I want them to not feel anxious. I want to help him feel like he can fit in and feel successful. And so that's where we were at in that moment. And um, as I moved into my own teaching career, I realized that the parents of the students I was working with. We're experiencing the same thing and we're probably experiencing isolation and we're probably experiencing that um, the lack of information and feeling connected. I had so many meetings uh, as a parent and have had them throughout the schooling career with teachers and administrators and special ed teachers and psychologists and all the different people that are on the school teams. uh, You know, even this is even outside of the IEP process itself. Uh, it's It's an exhausting amount of energy. And so I know that as a teacher, my parents that I was working with also were experiencing the same thing. So I always was very you know, mindful and respectful of the parents that I was working with. And I also, you know, when, when working with students, I was always thinking about what is it that that individual student needs. And I think that comes from becoming an advocate for my own son. When we had learned all this information and needed to bring it to school and to others, you become like this instant advocate of being able to connect with all of those people that are going to affect your child. And that includes family and friends, right? Like how do we, you know, disclose and talk about that information with our close family uh, and close friends, but then also, you know, yes, all the educators and healthcare professionals you're going to be working with. And I also have another child. And so my daughter also has uh, special education needs in a different way. And I was able to advocate for what resources she needed. I was able to push for what was going to be the right type of education for her as well. And I liken it to being this general contractor. And in being a general contractor, you need to have a lot of resources at your disposal as far as tools, right? Like, so... I think of a, of it as a big toolbox, and in that toolbox, I'm collecting strategies and resources and connections and people that I can call, and I put all that in my, in my toolbox. And then the key is that when something comes up, that you pull out the right tool at the right time. And as your kids get older, uh, what I like to think of is, okay, I need to teach my kids you know, all the tools that are in their toolbox and how to use them. Uh, And then the key is to know when to pull out the right tool. And so I've taken that. And when I work with uh, students, my other students, myself or working with parents or coaching uh, families and coaching adults, I want to help them build their toolbox and help them know which Uh, strategies work in there? Which ones do you take out? Because it's always an evolving kind of tool set. And then know when to pull out the right levers, know when to pull out the right tools for each thing. And so, you know, one example I have is when I started teaching, I know I was in a classroom and I came in as a special ed teacher for that class and it was it was a substitute situation so i had known the kids but i you know it wasn't my regular classroom but i happened to be in there for the day and there was a 7 year old uh, second grade and one of the activities was to match pictures to words um so let's say it was a boot to the word boot and then you'd have to trace the word boot so you'd have to cut out the picture and then use a glue stick and um you know, paste it down next to the word, and then trace the word. So I think most of you who have, if you have kids that are somewhere between the ages of three and seven, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> or you might remember these activities yourself. Um, so anyway, this student did not like using the glue stick, and the reason for that was because it was sticky and it was difficult for him to put it on to the back of the piece he had cut out and put it down on the paper because it would get his hands all dirty. So clearly there was some sensory things going on here. Uh, So what I did was I said, well, let's get rid of the glue stick. So I went up to the desk, I got the tape. To me, that made much more sense. And I showed him how to use the tape to tape the picture down next to the word. Now, mind you, he knew what word went with what picture. Uh, And he was able to complete this entire page with all the pictures, matching them up, taping them down. There was an instructional uh, assistant in the classroom and she questioned me on using the tape. And she said, the students aren't allowed to use the tape. They can't use the tape. They've been, you know, it's been very strict and you know, they don't know how to use it and they make a mess and so on. And I said, yes, but this child does not Use a glue stick. And he goes, Well, everyone else is using a glue stick. I said, Yes, but is the object for him to use a glue stick or is the object for him to be able to match the pictures to the words? And so she was a little annoyed at me, but she got my point and stepped away. When the child completed the page, she said, Did he do that work by himself or did you have to prompt him? And I said, Yeah, I had to prompt him on cutting and how to use the tape because he didn't really know how to use it properly. But yeah, he matched all the pictures to the words. So see, if we remove the obstacle of the glue stick and just try a different tool that's in our toolbox, we can reach success. And so that was a very powerful moment for me because I realized that sometimes, even as, I mean, I'm guilty of it as a teacher, we have to set, you know, structure and order and, you know, rules within the classroom and all of those things, which are great. But we have to make sure that some of those things aren't keeping our students from learning in the way that they need to learn. And it was really an eye-opener because for me, I then now became a student advocate as well as a parent advocate. And, you know, through my teaching career, there have been times when I've advocated for my students so much (laughs) that I may have been met with some resistance from administrators uh, and from my peers, however, for me, the most important thing was, is my student or are my students getting what it, what it is they need and what is important for their success? And so I think between my parent experience and my teaching experience, I've been able to put that together, and my goal for this work that I'm doing now, is to make sure that i can have parents feel less isolated be able to find information that i found very challenging to find early on especially and if i can make you know one student feel less isolated or feel like they can have a better classroom experience help family members understand what a child might be going through help families feel less isolated then i've done my job so you know, here, um, through this work that I'm doing here, through Spectrum Strategy Group, I really want to be able to offer all of that information at a, you know, in a way that makes sense for people, in a way that is easily accessible when people need it. Uh, So that's my uh, piece here today about my parent and teacher perspective and as I move through going forward, you know, I, I hope to get to know you all better and that you will get to know me a little bit better. So take care. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh. And if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. Also, if you join our email list at thespectrumstrategy.com, you can get a code to attend one of my online courses for free. See you next time.